0: Hello, and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, and this episode will be in 1 Thessalonians starting in uh, uh, all of the book and kind of also covering chapter 4 a little bit. Uh, We'll look at the first two verses of chapter 4, but primarily for this episode we're going to be looking at a summary of the plot and and the plot points through the book thus far, and we're kind of reviewing that and pulling that information together because it's going to be important going into chapter 4 and 5 and finishing out this book. I will go ahead and put in a slight note here that um, I'm going to be out the next couple of weeks, and I do not have episodes recorded ahead of time for the next couple of weeks. And so, uh, for this this episode will come out on May 2nd, on May 9th, on May 16th, I will not put out a new episode. I'm sorry for that. Thankfully, Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 are kind of a really good slight break point and a slight breather in between the end of chapter 3 and then the next topic in chapter 4. And so we've kind of hit an opportune time, and we're going to take a break there. Uh, But then on the the 23rd, May 23rd, it should be, I should have another episode out covering verses 3 through whatever we get through. With that all being said, let's look at 1 Thessalonians, go back to chapter 1, and we'll cover some of the basic outline of the book thus far. When you get to 1st Thessalonians you see a picture of a church, the church at Thessalonica, but not just any other church. This is this is this is the ideal church basically. And I say that because that's not that's those aren't the words that Paul uses, but when you read all the other epistles, you read the book of Galatians and Paul calls them out for being horrible and misled and, and not understanding anything. What are you people doing? I gave the, you the gospel like three days ago and you've already thrown it in the dumpster. What, did did I not ground you enough? Did I not teach you enough? All of Galatia is called out. When Paul gets to 1 Corinthians, it's correction after correction after correction. You don't understand. You're not doing this right. Why are you following men instead of God? That doesn't make any sense. Why are you admitting this guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who's living with his father's wife? Why is that a thing? Not even the Gentiles do that. What are you doing? Why do you not understand marriage, 1 Corinthians 7? It's all these issues that Paul is bringing up, and he says, what's your problem? When you get to the book of Romans, even, there are some problems there as well. In Romans chapter 1, you know, all sorts of people are terrible people. In Romans chapter 2, you know, the Gentiles are kind of terrible people. In Romans chapter 3, the Jews are kind of terrible people. I, I think I got that in the right order. I may be slightly out of order. The point is, in the first three chapters of Romans, everybody's kind of terrible. So you guys should be unified, because there's a problem in Romans, namely that there are multiple churches in Rome, one that's presumably Jewish, one that's presumably Gentile, and they don't associate with each other because they're different, and Paul has to correct that. And he does it doing the greatest theological essay that's ever been written, of course, but still, it's something that they shouldn't be going through. You get to Thessalonica, and that's not the situation. You get to Thessalonica and you see a good and a faithful church who is unified, who is good, who is persevering through everything that comes at them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul is thankful to God. Why? Because they were impacted with the word of God in verse 5. When you get to verse 6, you see the quality of the character, you see the caliber of, of people, and you see that... These aren't just good people who happen to be in a church. You see that these are good Christians. (laughs) Did you know that good people and good Christians aren't the same thing? Right? As we think of good people, you think of people who are nice, who are kind, who are generally pretty good, who don't tell lies, who don't murder, who don't steal, who are generally honest. But these people are all of those things and so much more because they're actually faithful to God. That's what makes an actual good person, if we could draw that distinction. These people are good Christians. They are faithful. Even when there is severe persecution in verse 6, you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord. You see in verse 7, the result of that, that Thessalonica is the example to show off to every other church that is there. In Macedonia, northern Greece, or Achaia, southern Greece, and even everywhere else that the word has gone in verse 8, in every place your faith in God has gone out. So much so that Paul is getting reports from other Christians about how well Thessalonica is doing, even though he's the one who started the whole process, and he knows all of this. He's still getting reports from everybody who are impressed with Thessalonica and they're so thankful and they're so grateful about it that they're telling him that Thessalonica is great. And Paul says, thanks, I already know. I was there. I helped them. That's the church at Thessalonica. Good, faithful, godliness is portrayed in their every move so much that they're an inspiration to other churches. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, around verses 4 and 5, Paul is trying to get Corinth. Uh, Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians, had promised to send a donation of some sort to the Jerusalem church to help them out of a really tough situation. By the time 2 Corinthians comes around, uh, presumably a few months later, they haven't gotten the collection together still. And so he writes to them in 1 in. Not 1 Corinthians. Ugh. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes to them to encourage them to get their stuff together, to put together their money and make a gift out of it so that he can take it to the, churches, or to the church in Jerusalem. And when he does that, one way he inspires and encourages the Corinthians to actually do what they had promised they would do, 2 Corinthians 8 and verses 4 and 5, I believe it is, he gives this example of the churches in Macedonia— like Thessalonica and Philippi from the book of Philippians. He gives the example of churches in Thess- uh, uh, in Macedonia who are giving far beyond their means just because they are so good. And his question is, if they're going to give far beyond your means, are you, Corinth, are you really going to give less than what your means are? Thessalonica is used as an example of encouragement to help inspire Corinth to do something worthwhile. That's the caliber of people we're dealing with. Good people. Actually good people. Not just nice, not just honest, but good, solid Christians. That's the church of Thessalonica. Well, they're good and faithful, and Paul compliments them for that, but then what's chapter 2 about? It's about Paul reminding them why they're good and faithful and what they're good and faithful to. They're good and faithful to God, it says in chapter 1. What does that look like? Well, in chapter 2, it's it's kind of further specified. They're good and faithful to Paul in as much as Paul is explaining the gospel message to them. In as much as Paul is bringing the gospel to them, they are good and faithful to to him. In verse 13, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you've also suffered the same things from the people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And who persecuted us? These Thessalonians are good, and they're faithful to the Word of God to Paul, to the messenger, to the message of God that's being taken out and given to the world. As a result of this, Paul has bonded very strongly with them, such that in in verses 7 and 8, in verse 7, you have a picture where Paul says, you know, we could have been a burden, but we weren't. Instead, we were gentle. I'm like a nurse nurturing her own children, or like a mother nurturing her children. Paul gives, gives this example of kind of parental familiarity with them that they have a family bond here. In verse 8, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. Paul has bonded strongly to them. Not only is he going to tell them the important words, the words of life, he's also going to share life with them and to live with them. You also see this example in verse 11, this this example. You know how a father deals with his children? That's how I've dealt with you. Again, a familial bond. Paul cares about them. And more than that, Paul wants to see them. In verses 17 through 20, Paul wants to see them, but unfortunately, he can't. If you remember, in Acts chapter 17, When you get to Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Thessalonica for like three weeks-ish, three Sabbath days meeting in the synagogue, and then uh, evidently right after that he gets driven out. And so he gets to spend three weeks with them. He starts developing relationships. He starts planting seeds and teaching them ideas and, and grounding them in the faith, but he's cast out before he can complete the work. He's cast out before he can like really, really get to the core of things, you would think. And so he's worried for their faith. He's worried for their faithfulness. He wants to see them to make sure they're doing okay, to see if they are faithful, to see if everything has worked out or if Satan has ruined his plan, but but he can't because Satan's blocking him somehow. That's in verse 18 of chapter 2. And so he's stuck in this conundrum that he he has wanted to see them, to be with them, to spend time with them, but he can't. And that leads us to chapter 3, in which Paul expresses how much he cares about their faith. Thessalonica has faith. They are the faithful examples of godliness. They are the faithful example of how a church should act even in persecution, of how Christians should be even in difficulty. Then in chapter 2, you see what it's all grounded in. It's all grounded in the gospel message that God has given. It's all grounded in the actual words of God themselves. You see that and that value and that emphasis that's placed there in chapter 2. Well, now in chapter 3, Paul is iterating or reiterating why he cares so much about their faith. And that he does. And that he loves them, and he cares for them, and he wants to make sure they're doing well. He just wants to make sure they're staying right. Through all the afflictions, in verses 3 and 4, what was it? We sent Timothy in verse 2. Why? So that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened... Well, guess what? Paul also told them they would experience affliction, and he wanted to make sure that they stayed strong when it happened. Do you remember chapter 1? Chapter 1 in verse 6, the language he uses, you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed with joy the message of the Holy Spirit. You remember these ideas that Thessalonica is faithful and good examples of godliness because they bore through the persecution. Paul cares about that. He cares about their faith. He wants them to do what's right. And thankfully, in chapter 3, we find out that they did do what's right. They have done what's right, and they are still doing what's right. They have continued to be faithful. Then what's chapter 4 about? When you get to chapter 4, You have a picture here of a people who is, uh, of a church who is made up of good, solid Christians, of a church made up of people of faith who persevere through affliction and and who go through anything and are willing to give up whatever they need to to be faithful to God. And then you get to chapter 4, in which Paul asks the question, How are you so faithful? What are you faithful in exactly? And is there anything that you need that we can provide for you? That's where we get this famous line and the theme of our book. It's found in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us, on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That's his introduction to chapter 4, and it's so, so very simple. This is our theme verse for the book, because I think it's the core of the book. We've seen the faith that's expressed in these people. We've seen the goodness of these people. We've seen how they work, how they live, how they act. We've seen how godly they are. And Paul says, keep doing it, and take it the next step as well. What does he say? In verse 1, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that what? As you have received instruction, as you have been taught, that you keep on doing that and do it even more. Oh, and by the way, as you received instruction, you are already following it. Thessalonica received instructions on how they should live and please God. That's what he says. And then he makes this footnote, as you were already doing. You are staying faithful. You are godly. You are righteous. We've seen that in the rest of the book, haven't we? We've seen that in the first three chapters. They are good. They are faithful. They are righteous. Even though it's only been three weeks of full Christian education, they haven't learned everything there is to learn. Paul really wants to get back to them to help them, to shore them up, to finish their education. But they're doing what they know. (laughs) They're doing what they've been given. And they're succeeding in it. Well, keep doing it and do it even more. That's the command. That's the charge. It's so simple. It's just a few words, and yet, even as you are doing this, continue and do it even better than you already are. That's the plot of this book. That's the emphasis of this section we're coming into. In verse 2, he points out, these are Jesus' commands, that you need to follow. These are Jesus' commands as channeled through Paul. These are Jesus' commands as as laid down for us now in this nice little book we have. They're channeled through man, but come from the Spirit. Well, you should probably listen to those, just as you are already doing. Do this even more. That's what chapter 4 is going to be about. That's the emphasis of this section that they have been faithful, they are being faithful, but the next step is, number one, to keep doing what you're doing, and number two, to be even more faithful going forward to the future. That's what chapter 4 is about, is pointing to examples of their faithfulness and asking, is there anything we need to address right now? There will be one thing that they need a little clarification on. But other than that, and that's not even a rebuke, other than that, there is no no word that's not positive in the chapter. Because it's all just commentary on how amazing Thessalonica is, how they need to keep on doing it, and how they need to step up their game and go the extra mile. Go do the next step. Do the next thing, accomplish the next, and excel still more. The question we have to ask from all of this, it's a very simple question, but it requires honest self-evaluation, as the best questions do. If we were written, let, let me rephrase this. If Paul wrote us a letter today, Us, me as an individual, or the church as a whole, right? Whatever congregation I'm a part of, if Paul wrote that congregational letter, or if he wrote me a personal letter, what would he have to say? Would it be, You're doing great, excel still more? Let me compliment you on how amazing you are. Let me show you how you've been faithful. You've been an example to everyone. Your influence has spread. You have grounded yourself in the word of God, and I I care about you to make sure that you're doing well, but you are doing well, and I don't even need to be there. Is that the message Paul would give me? Or the church I'm part of? Or any of you? Is the message that Paul would give us You've learned to love like God himself has. Keep doing that and do it even better. You've been so faithful through every persecution. Keep doing that and do it even better. You've been so encouraging through every situation. Keep doing that and do it even better. Is that the message we would get? Or would we get a message more like Galatians? I am so quickly astonished that... You had the faith, but are ignoring it. Would we get a message like Corinthians? I am amazed that you have just taken your opportunities and ignored them. What's the matter with you? Would we get a message like Romans? Y'all need to work things out because you're you're all bad people. So how about you work together instead of splintering each other apart? How about you, like, form the body of the Lord instead of just everybody doing his own thing? Because that's not what unity is. Unity is working together. What message do you want to hear from Paul's mouth? (laughs) Right? The condemnatory ones? The accusatory ones? The, The confused and bewildering ones? And the insulting ones sometimes? Or do you want to hear the message of the Thessalonians, which is... Nothing but complimentary and encouraging and building up. Which one? You get to choose. You get to choose where your life goes, how your life looks. You get to choose where your focus is, and you get a choice. Do you want to be Thessalonica or Galatia? (laughs) Please choose Thessalonica. That's where we'll leave it for today. We'll pick up in chapter 4 in three weeks from now, uh, or or two weeks from now when this releases. um, Right? Is that right? No. No. In three weeks from now when this releases on May 23rd, I believe it is. And that's where we'll, uh, we'll pick things up. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you benefited. Hopefully there's something in there. You understand the book better and maybe you're able to better use it to relate to your life as well. Hope there's some benefit in there for you. God bless. And I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.